Keith, we're going to the Romans text, please. Thank you.
Um, text from Romans starts at Romans 5, the 5th verse of the 10th chapter in Romans. Paul lays it out. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth. And so is saved. Scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's an old story about a chicken and a pig who are having a conversation. The chicken says to the pig, you know, the farmer's pretty good to us. We really ought to do something nice for him. And the pig says, well, what do you have in mind? And the chicken says, well, he really likes breakfast. We should provide the farmer with a really good breakfast to show our appreciation for all he has done for us. And the pig says, okay, that sounds good to me. What did you have in mind? And the chicken says, well, he really, really likes eggs and bacon. And the pig says, yes, my friend, but for you, that's involvement. For me, it's commitment. Right? Can we talk about commitment for a minute today? You know, if you look up commitment and stories about commitment, if you Google them, which I don't always do for sermons, but I did for this one, you come up with lots of things about people who have been married forever and ever. It takes real commitment to be married to somebody for a long 
time. This week, our friends the Meads will celebrate 60 years of being married. But they were together for, what, nine years before that? That means Amy Mead has been with Bob for almost 70 years. Can you believe that? What a good sport she is, huh? (laughs) Takes real commitment to be married to somebody. One of the stories that is really popular about marriage and commitment is the story of John and Nettie Wooden, you know, the famous basketball coach. People don't realize this about him, I don't think, but he, they met when, he, when they were both 14. He will say, she, he's the only woman I ever loved, the only woman I ever kissed, only woman I ever been with. And they lived together in marriage. She preceded him by, in death by over 25 years. He lived to be 99. And every month on the 20th of the month, For those 25 years, he would go and sit and write a handwritten letter to her. And he would take it and put it in an envelope and put it on her pillow. And stacks and stacks of letters ended up on her pillow. And he never disturbed them and never disturbed her side of the bed. He slept on top of the blanket that kept them warm so as not to disturb her. And he would say... You know, I'm not worried about leaving this life because when I do, I'll see Nettie again. That's commitment, right? That's commitment. Famously, Joel Osteen's dad, the way they found him passed, that he had passed, was he did not bring his wife a rose and a cup of tea in the morning, which he did every day of their married life. That's commitment. Some of you gentlemen, let me just speak frankly, pick up your underwear off the bathroom floor. That would show your wife you're committed. Am I right? Come on. Yes. Or, in your case, get your children to pick up their underwear off the bathroom floor, right? Yeah. Scripturally, there's room for that. Like, the story of Ruth and Naomi is one that shows great commitment. They weren't married, but it's interesting because the daughter-in-law who leaves Ruth, or leaves Naomi, is Orpah. By the way, that's where they get Oprah, as in Oprah Winfrey. That's where her name comes from. They misspelled it on her birth certificate. Um, But... Naomi says to her, go find a husband. Go back to your family. You'll be taken care of. They'll be committed to you. Ruth says instead, no, I'm committed to you, Naomi. I will stay with you. And the very famous verses are ones we use in weddings now. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. We will not be separated. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Well, let's talk about commitment for a minute. You know, we are in this season now where we're talking about a Let the Music Live campaign. It's about revitalizing and renovating our organ. Important stuff. 
for the life of the church. But this campaign is designed to be far more than just about an organ and just about raising money. It's about revitalizing the life of the church. And we've seen a little bit about that. You know, we've gotten together. We've had some fellowship with one another. We're doing some things to spark our spiritual lives. The kids are excited. Man, if I could get adults to be even this much as excited as Quentin was to bring his money. Right? Did you all see Quentin bringing his money and saying, I got it for the new accordion. I'm ready. Right? The kid thinks he doesn't know what an accordion is. Now somebody here wants, instead of buying an organ, to get us an accordion. If we're getting an accordion, people, we're getting a monkey to go with it. We're building the enthusiasm, the excitement. We've talked about why we want to do this because God has blessed us so abundantly that we can't do anything else but show that our cup is overflowing. We've talked about why we worship. We've talked about why we need to have music in worship. I quoted Martin Luther that said, if you don't, you're a bunch of clodhoppers. That, Gail Looney, could be our next slogan for the organ campaign. We could have, be an organ donor. No? Nobody likes that one? Okay. Or, don't be a clodhopper. How about that? But today we need to talk a little bit, frankly, about commitment. Now, here's the thing. This isn't just about money, but I want to talk about money today. Stewardship is about the use, proper use, of all that God has given us. And God has given us much. Relationships, time, energy, church, bodies, souls, and stuff. How do we use our money? This is a hard conversation. It's hard for a couple of reasons because as I look out here, most of you are committed. But do you realize that over half the people of this church give almost Nothing in any sustained sort of way. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I sometimes hear people say things like, well, I'm on a fixed income or, or, or I live paycheck to paycheck, so I can't possibly give. Let me tell you something. If that's your attitude, you never will. Because if you can't give with a little, you won't give with much. And I think that's an issue about commitment. Here's what I believe. 
when we come forward for communion like we're going to do today, we say to you the only requirement for that is that you call Jesus your Savior. And I believe that when you come forward, almost all of us do, that you believe that Jesus is your Savior. But I would ask you today, do you also believe that Jesus is your Lord? Let me tell you what I mean by that. To say Jesus is our Savior is to say we know that Jesus died to save us from our sins. The miraculous, remarkable, awe-inspiring abundance of God prompted Jesus to take our place on a bloody cross and die for our sins. Jesus saved us. He is our Savior. But Jesus is also our Lord. A Lord is someone to whom you turn over your whole self, your very being. Someone whom you give all that you have. You surrender to the Lord of all, to the Lord of life. To the Lord who has given you life. I think it's hard to commit. If you haven't committed to Jesus as Lord. We don't do this much in the Presbyterian Church, but it is not in any way inappropriate or or out of bounds with our theology. If you have not committed to Jesus as Lord, take a moment and do it. Open your heart to God and the abundance he has shared with you and just say, I don't have this figured out, God, but I want you to be number one in my life. I believe what you have done for me. I acknowledge it with my mouth. I confess it. And I accept you as my Savior and Lord. If you want to talk more about that, we can talk more about that. Or anything else for that matter.